0: Welcome to episode 96 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering. So since then, I've written a book called Engineering Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every episode. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers' Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. Now, here's a short preview of this episode, during which I'll be speaking with Jim Rogers, author of Win More Work, How to Write Better AEC Proposals.
1: If you're a billable professional in the AEC industry, there's probably something in this podcast that would be of benefit for you. And when you hear the broad definition that we use to define seller-doer, you may be a little bit surprised because a lot of people have a narrow definition, which is, well, a seller-doer is somebody who mostly does all the time and they are say they're too busy to sell, but they're supposed to anyway.
0: My co-host Chris and I both believe that in order to be the best civil engineer you can be, you must consistently get better, get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we publish this free podcast to help you do just that. In this episode, you are going to listen to a conversation between myself and Jim Rogers, who is not only an author, as I mentioned, but he is the co-founder of the Seller Doer Academy for Civil Engineers that he and I co-founded. And we've had him on in the past to talk about seller-doer skills and kind of what that means. But in this episode, we are specifically giving you a strategy for building your seller-doer skills. We're giving three specific learning approaches, and we're recommending that you blend them. And so we really dive into the details on this one. Now, I just want to tell you a little bit more about Jim before we jump in here. Jim is a nationally recognized proposal guru and author who helps professional services clients win more work. He is a consultant, speaker, author, and sales presentation coach. Civil engineers hire Jim Rogers to help build their authority and to help them prepare proposals and presentations that seal the deal. He is the author of the book, Win More Work, How to Write Better AEC Proposals, which I know many of you probably want to do, write better proposals. Today, Jim is a master distiller of ideas. That is, he helps his clients distill their ideas to the time and space allotted by their prospective clients. He is founder of Unbridled Revenue, which helps AEC firms win more work, and also a co-founder, as I mentioned, in the Seller Doer Academy for Civil Engineers. Before we get started, I do want to just reinforce that this is a free show, and our sponsors help us keep it free. So please support them. Now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, by asking you, have you been looking for a way to advance your engineering career? Stick around later on for my exam prep tips and tricks. I'll be sharing info on where to find the best resources to prepare you for your licensure exam, including an exclusive 20% discount available only to listeners of this podcast. Thanks to our sponsor, PPI. You won't want to miss that. Also, at the end of the episode, Jim and I are going to tell you about our upcoming seller doer jumpstart session that will help you to take all the advice in this episode and put it into action. So again, stick around for the end segment, where we'll talk a little bit about the Seller Doer Jumpstart and how you can come on board for that. All right, now it's time to dive into our civil engineering conversation of the week with Jim Rogers.
2: Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast.
0: Now, it's my pleasure to welcome back once again to the Civil Engineering Podcast, Jim Rogers. Jim is the author of Win More Work, How to Write Winning AEC Proposals. He's also my partner in the Seller Doer Academy, which is a program where we help engineering professionals build those seller doer skills, which is exactly what we're going to talk about today. Jim, welcome back.
1: Thanks, Anthony. Glad to be here.
0: The word seller doer, Jim and I both know by now that it's kind of a hot, trendy type of word. We hear it all the time. We're looking for seller doers. We want to build seller doers. That's what engineering companies, engineering firms are saying all the time. And so, you know, that's why Jim and I got together and we created the Seller Doer Academy to help people do that. But at the end of the day, you hear people say that all the time, but you don't hear them tell you how to develop the skills. Or it seems like companies are always looking to just hire seller doers. So what Jim and I wanted to do in this episode is to actually give you some of the action steps that you can do to build those skills. We had Jim on in the past. We talked about an acronym that we use called RLOC, which is really more about the skills, but not specifically how to build them. So I think this is a topic that we can have some fun with and really will be helpful for you.
1: Right, Jim? I hope so. So, Anthony, I thought it'd be good to quickly define what a seller doer is because you may have some people on the phone that kind of wonder, you know, is this the right topic for me to listen to? And my answer would be if you're a billable professional and the AEC industry, there's probably something in this podcast that would be of benefit for you. And when you hear the broad definition that we use to define seller doer, you may be a little bit surprised because a lot of people have a narrow definition, which is well, a seller doer is somebody who mostly does all the time and they're, say, they're too busy to sell, but they're supposed to anyway.
0: It can be confusing at times for a lot of the AE professionals.
1: So our definition is, Broad. And it took us probably two and a half years to really settle on one. And I'm not sure this one's the concrete or the cement's probably still hardening a little bit on this because it could change as we get ready to publish or deliver a manuscript to ASCE titled, uh, tentatively titled, The Civil Engineer's Guide to Becoming a Seller Doer. But one of the best definitions I think we've come up with so far is a seller doer is any billable professional who intentionally performs actions to help generate revenue so any billable professional who intentionally performs actions that help generate revenue i hope i said that close to the same way twice so that would include anybody all the way from somebody who's just become uh, it could be an eit frankly but most people don't start there usually they have more experience than that four or five years of experience but there could be a role for somebody who's fairly new in their role as professional, all the way up through Rainmaker. You know, if you're a Rainmaker who still bills 10, 20 percent, you're a seller doer, but you're a seller doer on steroids and you're probably not the person who's working on developing core skills. You're probably working on sharpening your skills and elevating your game. But uh, we consider all people across that spectrum to be seller doers.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's a good definition. And like Jim said, we took some time with that. It's not something we came up with overnight. It's from writing this manuscript, interviewing a lot of seller doer themselves, and just throwing the words back and forth and looking at everything. What we're going to do in this episode specifically is, in a minute here, we're just going to very quickly recap some of the key skill sets of seller doers. Because like I said, we don't want to talk about the skills. We want to tell you how, how to build them. And then we're going to jump into four different kind of aspects of building them, We'll go over some blending methods, then we'll jump into some on-the-job learning, some extracurricular activities, and then some self-study. And then we'll come back in the end segment and just tell you how to jumpstart this whole process. So the skills in general that you're going to see associated with a seller-doer would include communication. They're going to include your marketing, your BD, and kind of selling or closing skills, and then your business acumen. These are skills that people throw around loosely quite a bit. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, you got to develop your communication skills. It's a broad thing. And so I think that there's a mix. Would you agree, Jim? There's a mix of these different skill sets that go into becoming a seller doer.
1: Absolutely. You know, we spent some time, it took about two years or actually a year to get it pretty well refined. And, and Identifying what the different skill sets are. And then we, there were so many skills, we came up with about 15 skills. And, I, you know, I don't know if they're perfect or not, but they kind of fit pretty neatly into three major buckets. One, communication skills, like you just said, which could be business writing, public speaking, interpersonal skills. Another bucket of skills would be more what you think of as sales and marketing skills. So that could be. You know, conducting a business development call, having good questioning skills, being able to position yourself by articulating your value proposition, writing proposals and delivering interview presentations fit into that bucket. And then finally, business acumen, which is really probably more knowledge than skill, which is how well do you know the business that you're in, the industries that you serve, how your clients operate? Can you read their annual report and understand a balance sheet? Are you able to isolate best clients and figure out who you should be reaching out to? So I almost forgot one of the most important ones, making good go, no-go decisions falls under business acumen. So those are the big buckets, again, kind of foundational communication skills, and then the marketing and sales skills, and then business acumen.
0: The reason that we wanted to recap those skills or go over those skills, for those of you that haven't heard much about a seller-doer in the past is because it's a lot more than just saying those words seller-doer. There's different skill sets that have to be built up in order to help you to become that seller-doer. So it's not flick of a switch, so to speak. There's, you need to build different skill sets and become kind of this well-rounded AE professional to become a seller-doer. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through some different actions or learning actions you can take to develop these different skills And before we do that, though, Jim, let's just talk a little bit in general, a little bit of an overview of the different methods. And really what we recommend as an approach for doing this is a blended approach, meaning you need to do different things. You can't just watch a video. You can't just do on the job stuff. You have to do a combination.
1: Right. You can't just read a book. You know, interestingly, we help people. In a program we'll talk about later called Seller Doer Jumpstart. We help people figure out how to put together a plan of attack for developing seller doer skills. And, you know, we encourage people to lay out a plan that includes a blend of different techniques, learning techniques. And every now and then I'll see a, uh, we call it seller doer skills development plan. I'll see a plan that has a whole list of books that somebody's going to read, which I would call self-study. And that's great. CEOs read on average over 50 books a year, you know, so if you want to be a rock star at what you do, you have to read a lot and that's important, but that's not enough because that's just acquiring knowledge. You know, reading a book, you might be able to apply five to 10% of what you read. Going to training is another thing that people tend to gravitate toward. Well, I need training. Well, we don't have training or I don't have time to take training or we don't have the budget for training. So training, training, training comes up all the time. Well, training on its own still Doesn't always transfer back to the job on the job is where people tend to learn best because in your work doing real work. So there's urgency, there's relevance. And so when you're getting coaching and mentoring and reinforcement on the job, that is a super way to really build your skills. And it's helpful also to have that self-study reading the books. It's helpful to have training. But st- as standalone methods, they're not going to work real great. The one thing that people don't think about, and we're going to talk about in a minute, is outside the job activities. What I would say experiential learning is kind of a way, a fancy way of saying I'm learning while I'm doing something. So, say, a, a new job assignment, taking responsibility for writing a proposal. But there's experiential learning that you can do outside the context of your job. And I call that extracurricular activities and again we'll talk about it a little bit more later.
0: All right so let's jump in now to the first of these couple different learning methods or approaches which we'll talk about is on-the-job learning. Jim this is one obviously that is very applicable to people right now they're listening they're probably in their office or they're on the job on a daily basis. Talk about on-the-job learning and some of the components.
1: So Anthony in doing research for our book for ASCE we talked to a about three dozen executives around the country. These are people who ascended to the top you know, CEOs of mid-sized firms or EVPs of larger firms and asked them what they did or what they do for their people to help them develop seller-doer skills. And I was kind of surprised at this one. One of the top ones was conducting lunch and learns.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, because you always hear of lunch and learns, like there's people from outside coming in and giving them to your firm. But I actually do know a few engineers that took it upon themselves to kind of coordinate lunch and learns, but maybe not necessarily give them. So that, that's an interesting one.
1: So here's why. Here's why this one comes up, because some of these are a double whammy. Maybe that's not the best way to describe it, but some of these are, oh, here's a better way, kill two birds with one stone. So if you conduct lunch and learns, not only are you developing skills like being able to tell a story of a project or be able to stand on your feet and give a tight presentation and overcome your fear of speaking. If you have fear of speaking or polish your speaking, if you're solid, but want to get better. So not only are you doing that, but you're demonstrating your technical expertise or business expertise and you're building your network and you're helping people that may be prospective clients or teaming partners. So not only are you building skills, you're building business and a, a couple of the examples of things that people said are, are the best ways to learn are these uh, kill two birds with one stone, like conducting lunch and learns.
0: No, I love it because you're right. You're doing a lot of things. You're busy professional. You don't have time to just always sit there and dedicate time to skill building. Learning your technical skills where you're presenting a technical topic. You're taking some initiative within your firm to get training out there. And you're building these skills all at the same time. It's, it's definitely a great way to do it. A second one that I'll jump right into, kind of along the similar lines, but again, it comes to volunteering and putting yourself out there in your firm, but volunteering for project responsibilities ahead of time and not asking or waiting to be asked for that. That was a big one for me in my own career. I remember the planning board meetings. If you do any kind of approval type work, you're familiar with going to these meetings that could unfortunately take all night. You're sitting in a room with a planning board or a zoning board and you're trying to get your project approved. And I remember wanting to go to those meetings, but my boss telling me, I'm sorry, but we don't have the budget to take you to those meetings. And so finally, at one point, I just said, you know what? If I want to get to that level, I need to be at those meetings. And I just volunteered. I said, listen, I'm not going to bill my time. I just want to come. I want to observe what you do at the meetings. I want to observe how you present. And I did that for about six months, probably to a year before they allowed me to start coming and billing my time. And there's no doubt that that happened quicker. Because I was there and they felt comfortable that I was familiar with what they were doing. And it ultimately made me a better presenter when I got up in front of a board. So definitely think about volunteering for these responsibilities ahead of time because that's what seller doers do. I would say, Jim, that they're proactive.
1: Yes, absolutely. And you know, one of the things about volunteering that I think is important to some of the younger folks, I hate to use the word millennial because it sounds like we're lumping everybody together. Because I think this could be Gen X, millennials and the generation next, which is what I think the folks in their early 20s kind of fall into is people want their expertise to be valued. They want to be challenged and stretched and they want to learn. If people aren't reaching out to you, the, uh, the old guard, the leaders in the organization aren't reaching out to you, tapping you because they think that you've got to pay your dues, then volunteer. Right. And I guarantee you that a lot of those executives early in their careers got tapped or volunteered to take responsibility that, you know, they hadn't paid their dues to do. And they've just kind of forgotten. And if they go back and think about it, you know, we had an executive that said, you know, we always talk at our executive meetings about whether or not we're developing our people early enough. Are we willing to risk letting them fail on the job? And some of those executives are going to go, you know what? I did it and they can do it too. Again, don't wait to be asked, volunteer.
0: Yeah, and I would say that's another one of those kill two birds with one stone because by volunteering for project responsibilities ahead of time, number one, you're standing out in your firm in terms of someone who might get promoted or someone who we we know is responsible and we can give them more responsibilities. But then at the same time, you're gonna build the seller-doer skills. I mean, if you're volunteering to present, if you're volunteering to go to client meetings, you're building the skills that we talked about earlier on. So it's another good one for that. All right, Jim, talk about this next one. Be worthy of coaching and mentoring.
1: Let me actually distinguish between coaching and mentoring. Coaching typically means I'm getting the feedback on my day-to-day work product and work responsibilities by whoever's managing me. Mentoring usually means, well, this may be somebody that I don't directly report to, but who's helping shepherd me through navigating or, or company politics and advising me on how to advance my career and things like that. So I separate those two things out. We need both. If you're gonna seek out a mentor, somebody that may coach you outside doing the real work or take you and let you shadow them on a business development call, you need to be make yourself worthy of their time because a lot of companies like to put in place formal mentoring programs and most of those fail and most of them fail because there aren't enough mentors to go around and they or they're not structured well enough. Or frankly, some people don't demonstrate that they're worthy of having a mentor, which means you're willing to be respectful of that person's time. You're supposed to do what they ask you to do. You're an overachiever. You're really trying to make a difference for the firm and are committed to developing your skills because, you know, sometimes formal mentoring programs, somebody gets assigned mentor, and they don't take it seriously, and they're not worth that person's time. So, when I say be worthy, it means really get out there and be a go getter, so that somebody wants to take you under their wing.
0: Yeah, and I think the other side of that too goes back to the, I guess it's an old Chinese proverb: "Empty your cup." So when your cup is full, so to speak, you have all this knowledge and you don't feel like you can learn anything else. You're not open to the coaching and mentoring. If you're going to see coaching and mentoring, you need to have the mindset that you have a lot to learn. You need to kind of maintain that mindset throughout your career. I mean, some of the people that Jim and I have talked to, interviewed for this book, I mean, they are 40 years of experience running companies telling us that they're always looking to learn something new. And so seeking the coaching and mentoring and then being open and receptive to it have to kind of go together or else you're not going to really get that much out of it. So that's an important one, which then leads us into the last point here for on the job learning, which is to then teach
1: and coach others, right? Taking that next step, Jim. Yeah. Whether that's teaching an internal, you know, formal program, if you happen to have a seller doer or your sales and marketing skill development program internally, or if it's more informal, training people on the job, the best way to master a skill is to teach others how to do it. You know, so maybe we just have some baseline competency at something. If we really want to ratchet up then teach others. i worked for a company that's now called Accenture that was Arthur Anderson when I started. So they'll tell my age for people that know what Arthur Anderson was. And it was Anderson Consulting in between. We had to have 40 hours of professional education, continuing professional education every year. But we were also expected to train others about 40 hours a year. And we also had to give project evaluations at least every three months if it was a jumbo multi-year project, or if a project like working on a proposal required more than 80 hours of time that uh, somebody had to charge to that pursuit or that proposal, they had to get an evaluation. So not only were we training, doing formal training, we were given feedback on a regular basis. So again, if you're already a seller doer and you want to up your game, teach others.
0: Yeah, teach others. And that, that ties a little back into the like lunch and learn would be a, one way that you're able to teach others. So just to recap that one kind of learning method or approach, which is on the job learning, we talked about conducting the lunch and learns in your firm, maybe even put together a program and you speak a couple of times throughout the year, but you get other people to speak volunteering for project responsibilities before they ask you going to a planning board meeting, going to a client meeting, whatever the case may be, being worthy of coaching and mentoring. So seeking out coaching and mentoring and then being open to it and keeping that open mind. And then we just talked about teaching and coaching others. All right, let's jump into our next kind of learning approach, which would be extracurricular activities. Jim, take us into this one.
1: I may have earlier said lunch and learns was number one. It was probably number two. The number one overall recommendation that executives had for developing your business development skills and building your network was volunteering. So, three areas that you could volunteer once in your professional association, whether that's, you know, ASCE or NSP or any number of other technical associations that have to do with your skill development. The other would be business associations that could be. Uh, Chamber of Commerce or somewhere where your clients go. Maybe they're not engineers, maybe they're owners. So look for places where they might go. And then the third would be in the community. And community could be Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. It could be being a, a Pony League softball coach or being on a church committee. So any number of other things that you could do outside the workplace. and. Kind of like doing lunch and learns, this was kill two birds with one stone because you're developing skills. If you get involved, deeply involved in those associations by volunteering for a committee, then you're building skills because you probably have to do speaking, you probably have to do writing, you may have to explain what you're doing. At a conference, you're learning maybe parliamentary procedure. So you're learning leadership and communication interpersonal skills by doing that, but you're also building your network at the same time. Judy Nitch at Nitch Consulting in Boston gave one of the best succinct ways to think about this. She said, Jim, I tell my people, you know, don't just join ASCE, get on a committee and then don't just be on the committee, become chair of that committee and then get on the board and then don't just be on the board, become chairperson of the board. Because that's how you build those skills and you grow your network at the same time. And people like working with you and you want to be easy to work with on these committees. If people like working with you, they're going to do business with you because people want to do business with people they like. She said uh, life is too short to work with jerks. So not only do you expect your clients to be easy to work with, people are going to hopefully find you to be easy to work with if you're volunteering on these committees.
0: And really fundamentally goes back to a lot of what seller doers are all about, which is relationships, which is a big part of this. And again, getting involved in associations beyond just clicking the sign up button on the web page and becoming a quote unquote member. There's a huge difference between just being a member and becoming an active member. So really think about that. The second one we have here for extracurricular activities, which is almost like a disclaimer, I should probably put it in the intro and outro of the podcast because I say it so much is is join group like a Toastmasters or an SMPS, where you can get out there and talk in front of people. Just a little on Toastmasters real quick, and I'll let Jim talk about SMPS, which he's had more experience with than me. But Toastmasters is a nonprofit association that allows you to work on your speaking skills in a comfortable and supportive atmosphere. You go into a room, they give you a book of 10 speeches. You can do these 10 speeches in front of a room of supportive people you probably work, some of you work for engineering firms that have Toastmasters chapters in your organization, which is even better. Because then you can do it with your peers, you can do it on technical topics, but it doesn't matter where. Anytime you get up in front of a room and you speak, that is going to help you become a better seller-doer than you are now if you keep doing it. Jim, tell us about the Marketing Professional Group.
1: Sure. SMPS is the Society for Marketing Professional Services and interviewing executives As I've alluded to a couple of times, we had a bunch of them cite joining this organization, which helps people in the AEC industry, whether those are the marketing professionals, whether they're the proposal coordinators, proposal production staff, whether they're pure business development people or whether they're owners who have to generate business to keep their firm going and thriving. They will join Society for Marketing Professional Services to sharpen their skills and build their network. It's another one of these things. It's a twofer. So people at some of the conferences and chapter meetings, S.M.P.S. are actually getting transactions done. People they haven't seen for a while and a project pops up and they were like, I should have thought of this person. I'm glad I ran into them because I'd like to get them involved in this project. So you're gonna build skills. They have chapter meetings and conferences where you, you know, may have a topic that you wanna skip so I suggest that you attend some meetings before you decide to join. So again, you could go to some of the meetings or some of the special programs without becoming a member, you know, go to your state or your city's local chapter. I think it's smps.org. There's a chance I could be wrong about that, but it's easy enough to find.
0: Yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes and you can Google it for sure. But the bottom line with extracurricular activities, it's about getting out there into organizations that work for you and getting active. Not just being passive again. It seems to be coming a running theme of this episode is becoming active, proactive in your career. And really, if you think about it, that's probably a really good parallel for seller doers. All right, let's get into this last kind of learning approach self study, right? We talked about this in the beginning, and I'm going to kick this one off with our first one under self study, which is read. You have to be a voracious reader. Uh, Not just books, but industry publications, annual reports of companies you're interested in working with. Jim and I both read a ton and I get Jim that sends me books all the time as well. So I'm reading a ton and then I'm reading Jim's books that he's reading. So we're kind of reading the same stuff because we're working on the book together. But for me, at any given time, I'm reading three books. I'm reading one book that's like a self-help book or a nonfiction book. Whenever I can, I have a physical hard copy of it. I'm reading in the morning, maybe when I wake up for a few minutes, I'm at my lunch break. A second book I'm listening to on Audible, whenever I'm in the car or taking a walk, I want to pop a book on. And the third one is usually a fiction book or historical fiction in the evenings when I want to just kind of wind down. For me, it kind of keeps me going, keeps me learning, and keeps kind of that stimulation going. But I got to say, Jim, I think in the interviews we did, this came up all the
1: time. So let me give you a couple of books that have come up or that I'll recommend, Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. There's the Challenger sale. There are rainmaking conversations, just about anything by Ford Harding or David Meister. There's a book called "The Confidence Gap," which is one that will help you overcome the fear and doubt that might prevent you from going out and doing more marketing and business development. So we've got a, a whole host of these that we'll be listing in the book that's coming out, but there're, you know, too many to list, but that's a good place to start.
0: You like podcasts, of course. You're listening to us, so go use Audible. That's another great way to read books and digest them. You can take notes. You can stop the recording and take a note and clip a section, which I do all the time. The next one here under self-study is to watch TED Talks. Uh, Jim and I are both fans of this. The nice thing about TED Talks, if you're not familiar with them, is they're inspirational talks online. You can just Google TED Talks or most famous TED Talks. And the nice thing about this as well is you can go for a TED Talk on the topic that you're interested in. That's something that is powerful because in the world of content where there's just content everywhere, and sometimes it's hard to keep up with, you're not new to this. You're listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast, right? So you know about niche content. So you can go to the TED website and type in something that you're interested in learning more about. And these are some really riveting talks, and they're very engaging. And they also do, many of them have very specific takeaways from these talks that you can take and you can watch. And quite frankly, the way I think of these TED Talks sometime is just like this advice that you, it would cost you a lot of money to get this advice. In fact, on our other podcast, the Engineering Career Coach podcast, I spoke with Melissa Marshall, who has a a pretty popular TED Talk around how to improve your communication skills as an engineering professional. In fact, the name of the talk is called Talk Nerdy to Me. And its I think it has something like 2.2 million views. Very, very powerful. And she came on the podcast. She talked all about the same topic. And she ended up launching into a consulting career out of that TED Talk as it just gave her so much exposure. So watch TED Talks and you can learn from them. And it's a way for you very easily to consume targeted content. Our last topic on self study, and I'm going to let Jim dive into this one a little bit, is webinars and online courses. Jim?
1: Sure. You know, there are all kinds of tools that are available out there. If you go to acec.org or ASCE, um, SMPS, all of them have offer webinars just about every month. There are other providers, you know, you can Google it. I'm not going to promote all the different. Tools and courses that are out there. But there are other providers that, that offer online learning for $29. So even though you don't have to go to night school to learn some of these skills, you know, if you prefer doing some of this stuff online, you can do that instead of reading a book. Not everybody is a voracious reader. So I get that. Anthony and I built the Seller Doer Academy, sellerdoeracademy.com. And you can learn about other ways that we help people acquire these skills.
0: And we'll talk a little bit about our jumpstart in a few minutes here in the end segment but the one thing with the webinars and the online courses too that I would say to just keep in mind is and Jim and I are big on this is you want to make sure that they forward action in some way shape or form it'll be good if you're doing of course some of these other extracurricular activities and on the job learning while watching the webinars but if you can get a live webinar or a webinar that has an assignment or a challenge associated with it it's going to really help you to take that information and then implement it and develop those skill sets because if you don't do that, oftentimes you'll watch a webinar and very little of it'll stick. In fact, Jim and I have done some research into this. And I think the number, Jim, was like, maybe you'd be lucky if 10% of that transfers back to the job. Was that the number we were finding?
1: Right.
0: 5 to 10%. 5 to 10%. So if you want to get it to transfer back to the job, you need, some, you need to take action on it, maybe seek some coaching on it like we talked about before. And that'll dramatically increase the possibility of you, again, building those seller-doer skills. So let me recap this and then we'll jump into our end segment and wrap this up. But we talked about the importance of blended learning methods and learning approaches to become a true seller-doer. We focused on three different approaches, the the on-the-job learning, the extracurricular activities like volunteering for associations, the Toastmasters and Society for Marketing Professional Services, and then the self-study, which was the reading, the watching videos, and the webinars and online courses. And activity that goes along with those. So, those are the different blended learning approaches that you can take to really build those seller doer skills. What we're going to do now, take a short break, come back in our civil engineering hot seat segment. And rather than peppering Jim, since we've done that in the past, we're going to tell you how you can jumpstart this process of building your seller doer skills.
2: Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast.
0: Now it's time for our CE hot seat segment where we're going to get you jump-started on those seller-doer skills. But before we do that, I do want to just take a minute to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. If you've been thinking of getting your civil PE license, but you're unsure of where to start, now is the perfect time to check out ppi2pass.com. PPI has helped over 4 million engineers pass their licensure exam and become leaders in their fields. Best of all, PPI has exam prep material to prepare you for any civil PE discipline, including construction, transportation, structural, and others. Visit ppi2pass.com to order your exam prep materials and take one step closer to advancing your career. That's ppi2pass.com. I also have a 20% off promo code available for listeners of this podcast. Use promo code TCE8 on PPI's website, for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that's the promo code TCE and the number eight, the civil engineer and the number eight. We're back for our civil engineering hot seat segment. I have with me here, Jim Rogers, the author of Win More Work, How to Write Winning AEC Proposals. And Jim is also my partner in the Seller Doer Academy for Civil Engineers. And we're talking about, of course, seller doer skills and not just what they are, but how to actually build them. And to wrap this one up, we want to help you to get jump started. We just gave you different steps, different learning approaches, different actions you can take. And now we want to kind of tie it all together. So, Jim, how can the listeners get jump started on building these seller doer skills?
1: I should probably clarify a little bit. You know, we call this a seller doer jump start. It doesn't really mean that it's for people who are first time seller doers, right? It could be somebody who's been a seller-doer and you've gone dormant a little bit, or maybe you're a seller-doer and you're ready to amp up your game, that this is a good way to do it because without a plan, without a written plan or at least a well-thought-through plan, it could be on the back of a cocktail napkin, but we have better tools than a blank cocktail napkin, Um, having a plan and committing to it is really a great way to get started. So the first thing to do in the process is to take stock. So we have something I've talked about before in the past, which is called the seller doer training needs assessment and participants in the jumpstart go through and take this assessment. It helps you do two things. One, it helps you think through what activities you are or could be or should be performing to help generate revenue for your firm. Once you've done that, it helps prime the pump to think about the kinds of skills that you need to support those activities. So let's say you want to grow your business by speaking and you know that you need to get out there more speaking at conferences or doing lunch and learns. Well, what are the skills you need for that? Well, one's writing business, writing the others, public speaking. So if you're uncomfortable with public speaking or need to sharpen those skills, then that would be skill that you need to plan to work on. What comes out of this exercise is taking stock, figuring out what you're going to do and then what skills you need to do it. And then you, codify those into plans the first plan is what we call a personal marketing plan so what am i going to do intentionally to help grow the business so maybe that's speaking maybe that's networking maybe i'm already good at that and i need to work on my proposal writing skills because i'm going to write more proposals coming down the road so you're going to put together that personal marketing plan the second component where you're going to create a plan is your seller doer skills development plan. So again, that's mapping the skills that you need back to the activities that you're going to perform and then laying out how am I going to work on this? So if I need to work on my public speaking skills, you know what? I need to join Toastmasters. So what's the first step? Go to a chapter meeting. Wow, there are five chapter meetings, five chapters in my city. I'm going to find two of them. I'm going to go to two different ones and see which one the best fit for me is going to be. So those are the kind of next steps that we help guide people through to think about how they're going to develop those skills. It might be, you know what I need to do? I need to start learning how to take more responsibility for proposals. So I'm going to go to my boss and say, hey, the next kind of low risk, low stakes proposal, maybe a $50,000 job, if that's small for your firm, I want to be the proposal manager for that. If it's a big proposal, you might say, hey, I want to take, I want to write all the resumes or I want to, Update and write all the uh, relevant projects that are going to go in the in the statement of qualifications. So go ask for that assignment, and once you lay that out on a plan, and we suggest you know 30 days, 90 days, 365 days, both for the marketing plan and for the skill development plan, that's half the battle is just figuring out what you want to do. Because once you've done that and you've documented it, you've committed to it, maybe even played it back to your boss and getting their input on it or colleagues and getting their input on it, it's more likely that you're going to follow through on your plans.
0: Yeah, and the thing about this that I think is sometimes comical is that the most simplistic civil engineering project, even if it's an addition on a house, requires plans, permitting, etc. Yet I meet so many civil engineering professionals that don't have a plan for their career or for becoming a seller-doer or for becoming a partner in their firm. So that's what got me excited about when Jim and I had develop the program. Then we decided to develop this specific module or session on seller-doer jumpstart because it gives you that plan. It gives you kind of that light at the end of the tunnel that you're following to become a seller-doer. So that if you ever had a conversation with your supervisor about where you're going in the office, in the company, in the department, you could say, well, you know, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm really working on my seller-doer skills. I have a seller-doer plan. I'm working on different things. I'm doing some on-the-job learning, extracurricular, self-study, your supervisor would probably be silent. They'd probably be like, what? You're working on these skills, right? So I urge you to consider joining us for one of our Seller Doer Jumpstart sessions, which we have coming up in the fall. You can find out the information at sellerdoerjumpstart.com. We'll probably do a few of them in the fall, but the next one coming up will be posted all the time at sellerdoerjumpstart.com. Dot .com that's just all one word no dashes no spaces sellerdoerjumpstart.com and jim usually leads these sessions but i'm right there with him i'm on the phone i'm there i'm take we're taking questions we're helping you out we're giving examples and really what we're trying to do is get you to put pen to paper or you know type out your plan so that you have something that you can follow and then you can follow these different learning approaches that we've set for you and like jim said if you ever want to check out our curriculum just go to sellerdoeracademy.com The entire curriculum is there of all the different sessions that we've built to help engineers take these blended learning approaches, because without the blended learning approach, it really becomes difficult. Jim, thanks again for coming on here and sharing your wisdom with us. What else would you like to let our listeners in on before we let you go here?
1: Just a final comment about the Seller Doer Jumpstart is that, you know, I'd say about a third of the The people in that program are individuals and about two thirds are corporate clients that have five, 10, 50 people in the program and there is a cost for the program. So if people feel like they have to take responsibility for that themselves, just know that usually people go back to their manager and say, Hey, I've heard about this program. Is this something that you will help underwrite for me as part of my development? And then very often they say, oh, well, you know what, there are several other people who would benefit from this as well. And it kind of snowballs a little bit.
0: Yeah. we can help you with that too. We can give you some more information if you need it for your firm. But in my experience, we also have the accelerator workshop and the different things we do. Like 90% of the time I found so far, and that's literally looking at the numbers. Engineers are able to get reimbursed for these types of trainings where they're developing these seller skills, these management skills, these skills that are going to help the company overall, help you better engage with your clients. So don't think that your company is not going to support you on these things. Once again, Jim Rogers, Jim, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, and we hope that we can help you to really build those seller-doer skills.
1: My pleasure, Anthony. Thanks for having me.
0: And that does it for this episode. But before I let you go, I want to remind you that you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 96. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode with Jim Rogers, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And this is an important one because in the show notes, we're going to list out the different learning strategies that we mentioned. So you can really focus on that blended approach. And remember what we talked about in terms of the Seller Doer Jumpstart program, just visit sellerdoerjumpstart.com and we can help you right online in a one-hour call. We can help you get set up with your plan. We're excited to do it. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors.